This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. I can't believe I'm saying this. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line by the one and only Jennifer Aniston. Why did Jennifer Aniston start a hair care company? Because she was tired of choosing between hair products that work and hair products that are actually good for us. But thanks to Lola V, we never have to choose again. No silicones, no sulfates, parabens, or gluten. And of course, it's cruelty-free and vegan. The glossing detangler and perfect conditioner are my personal favorites. Not only do they repair the look of damaged hair, but they also shield it from future harm. The first step to unlocking confidence in your dating life and your daily life is feeling confident about your hair. So unlock Jennifer Aniston approved hair at lolav.com. And as listeners of Seeing Other People, you're getting an exclusive 15% off off of your entire order when you use code Seeing Other People at checkout. That's 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com with promo code Seeing Other People. Please note you can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After your purchase, they will ask you where you heard about them. Please, please, please support Seeing Other People and let them know that I sent you. You guys are in for a treat because support for today's episode comes from the best of the best, Jenny Kane. And yes, there is a discount, so keep on listening. You know that feeling when you get a new sweater and it instantly becomes basically another layer of your skin? Like you wear it everywhere for everything all the time. Okay, well, Jenny Kane has become my literal uniform. And if you don't know Jenny Kane, I'm pretty much about to change your life because Jenny Kane's clothes did that to mine. Jenny Kane is a California brand with luxurious staples that will transform your closet. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. They have the coziest cashmere sweaters and iconic accessories that will elevate your everyday basics. I don't know if I wear my cashmere fisherman hoodie or my cropped cashmere cocoon cardigan more. All I know is that I cannot live without either of them. Whether it's a cozy night in with the girls, a dinner date with Jake, or catching a flight to Florida to see my parents, these sweaters are perfect for every single occasion. And I couldn't be happier when I'm wearing them because I'm so comfy. And you guys know me. I always choose comfort over how something looks. But with Jenny Kane, I don't have to choose because I get comfort and I get style. All right. So we have the discount code coming for you. Find your new uniform at JennyKane.com. Seeing other people listeners get 15% off their first order when you use code SOP at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com. Promo code SOP, S-O-P. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Hey guys, it's Alana and you're listening to Seeing Other People Unfiltered. Each Thursday on Unfiltered, I'll be bringing on a different anonymous guest to open up about their real life dating experiences. We'll discuss what they went through or are going through, how they navigated it, what they've learned and what advice they have to anyone else going through something similar. Unfiltered is your reminder that no matter what you're going through, you're not alone. If you have a topic that you'd like to discuss on Unfiltered, please email your story to seeingotherpeoplepodcast at gmail.com to be considered for an episode. Real people, real stories, real life. This is Seeing Other People Unfiltered. On today's episode, I sit down with a 30-year-old man who lives in Australia. When he was 15, he met somebody who he ended up dating and marrying when he was 21. By the time he was 25, they were divorced and he had to enter the dating world for the first time as a single divorcee. He shares how his childhood experiences made him value love and relationships, but that his journey to really finding his person has been a very difficult one. We discuss what it was like for him having to tell people that he was divorced, and we hear about the similarities and differences between dating in the U.S. and dating in Australia. Seeing Other People Unfiltered is presented by Mindset Wellness CBD. If you haven't tried Mindset Wellness CBD or any CBD for that matter, you are missing out. Mindset Wellness CBD's products, all of their gummies are gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO, organic, and they taste incredible. They have helped my anxiety, they've helped me sleep at night, and I couldn't recommend them more highly. Head to MindsetWellnessCBD.com and use code SEEINGOTHERPEOPLE at checkout for 10% off and free shipping. All right, and now we are in the episode. Hello to our lovely anonymous guest. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Would you mind introducing yourself briefly and and just in your own words, explaining what you're here to talk about? Yeah. So um, my name is Austin. I originally am from California, but I have made the long trek here to Australia. And my journey is a bit of a unique one, um, but I felt like like jumping in because I just wanted to share um, how everyone has their own struggle towards finding love. And mine started from a young age and I had Lots of interesting twists and turns along the way, which we'll get into. But um, I kind of want to, I guess my real hope was to give encouragement out there to people that um, there are people out there really looking for something, a real connection. 
Um, and it takes a lot of work. And, um, but I think the most important thing is being honest with yourself and being brave enough to admit that and then go after it with all you can and, and, um, unafraid of chasing it. Absolutely. I think that was also very beautifully stated. And even for, for listeners, just hearing that is probably really calming because sometimes it does feel like there's nobody out there who is taking it seriously the way we are and it, it gets hard. Um, so I would love to get a little background on how you grew up and how that maybe impacted the fact that you are so intentional and really looking for something. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I got like a little snippet of the perfect cookie cutter life when I was really young. My parents met and they fell in love and they got married really quickly and they were very affectionate to each other. And I got a bit of that like suburban domestic life for just the first few years. <clears throat> But unfortunately, my dad and my mom, but mostly my dad, um, fell fell back into their addictions of, of substance abuse and and other things, and it um, it ripped our family apart. And um, I was caught in the middle of it, especially as the oldest child, sort of look after my my younger siblings. So I had to grow up really fast. And just watching um, what I saw as this like beautiful relationship and family fall apart because of something I don't want to like trivialize addiction but something like substance to give up something so beautiful for something so material um I think that really like shook my foundation and, and made me appreciate love and relationships and almost in a way I, I felt like it's something so special and sacred that when you have it you don't let it go um for better or worse that has led me to fighting really hard for it so I think from a very young age, I knew already that I wanted to settle down and I wanted to have that stable life. And I was committed to making that happen. And there was that one, every kid does this with like, I'm not going to be like my parents. The one thing I'm not going to do is get divorced. I was like, this determined that the person that I meet be the right one. Um, and yeah, the story continues from there, but it takes quite a different direction after that. <laughs> um, yeah. That's sort well, of what laid the foundation. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. I'm uh, sorry that you had to go through that. Um, yeah. But of course, it does. Everything builds on each other and gets us to where we are now. Um, and I guess one question I have just from that, because I do often hear about people who have like parents who they watched their parents marriage fall apart, or their parents got divorced, or mm -hmm. they weren't like, they didn't see them being in love. And that impacts their view of marriage and what a relationship should look like. And so what do you think it was about your situation that made you value love and relationships, as opposed to not believing in true love, not believing that marriage would work? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's funny, because one of my best friends, he also was a child of divorce. And we went, we grew up in, and when we met in college, and um, I, that was the distinct dichotomy I noticed between the two of us was he, he found that second category of people who were just like, I don't know if I ever want to sell that. I'm pretty jaded by the whole concept. And I fell into the first, I'm not entirely sure. I suspect part of it was because of my mom, because my mom, like she, she, she was really invested in that relationship to make it work. And I could tell that she was very loving and affectionate and, and the same way towards us. And, um, she's a bit of an idealist. I've gotten that from her too. So I think there was just this part of me that saw like my dad made mistakes, but I didn't feel like that was, I was like, well, if I don't make those horrible mistakes, uh, mm -hmm. it seems like a, that kind of relationship that they first had is very possible. And all I have to do is, is go out and find it too. Um, so I, I think for better or worse, seeing someone go so far off the wagon and, and fall down so far deep in the bedrock, it almost makes it be like, oh, it's very possible. I just don't have to <laughs> make those same mistakes. Yeah, just don't get yeah don't do what's going to lead you down that path and and yeah. i guess because you did get to see that beautiful relationship um for the first part of your life probably definitely yeah. played a role in that yeah. yeah and of course other role models like i was lucky enough that I had a really big family <clears throat> and so there were aunts and uncles who still had very like happy marriages and and you know luckily i was in tangentially i got to see some of that and that really helped um give me hope yeah so take me through what happens next, <laughs> or I guess what your introduction to a, a serious relationship or oh, all man. that is. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is where, I, so it, it already started off a little non-conventional. It's about to get wildly more non-conventional. <laughs> so um, 
After yeah, disclaimer, day- I read when I read your email, I was like, holy shit, like the whole <laughs> way through. So a little a little backstory to everyone listening is like I obviously am asking leading questions because I know <laughs> where the story is yeah. going. But yeah, um, okay, take it away. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put a little I'll put a little dr- dramatic irony spoiler in there that no one really understands until the end. You can go back. Mm-hmm. But the, the ultimate problem with this was that we ended up agreeing on just one too many things. Um, and that might make sense more once I explain it. But basically, um, after my parents split, my mom met a new guy and he was um, a bit of a nightmare too. He was just like very, very abusive and just like a very difficult person to live under. And he kind of like to bully us. So I think in a way I turned to religion as a sort of escape from that which only then fed more into this motivation to um, find that person and settle down, which in and of itself was already true, but like multiplied by the fact that like now it was this thing that was part of my like bigger life purpose and ordained by God and, and everything else. And so I knew I wanted to settle down. I knew what I wanted. And it seemed like everyone else was saying that's what you should go for. So funny enough, I met the person the first person I got really fell in love with when I was 15. And it was this love at first sight kind of thing where she um, just like walked in the room and we both sang and played music. And I I had already like, just, it was just like, she checked all the boxes of what I was looking for at the time. She had like a teddy bear backpack on. I was like, oh, she's wholesome. And she seems really sweet. And um, yeah, so I pursued really hard on that. And I knew what I wanted, but her being also only 15 and much more like from a, she was from a very stable, healthy family background. Her ambition towards love was a little more just like, I haven't thought about any of this. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we spent the next uh, seven years together through high school and college. Uh, We did long distance. Um, There were definitely some hot and cold moments, which I probably should have taken as a sign because she would, she would break up and then try to get back together. And she was often very confused about things. Um, but she I was about to ask like how you made it through all, like all of high school and college, because obviously I know how the story ends, but even it, it was funny. Like I'm smiling so big when you're talking about how you met, even though I know how it ends. And then, <laughs> like, But yeah, I guess it, yeah. it is interesting to hear when people say that like they made it through high school, college, it's like, wow, like, okay. Like they made it work, but it, I guess it, it, I'm glad you then followed up with like, there were breakups in between and and there were definitely tough moments. I think for me, it was because I was so committed. I was like, first of all, I loved her. So I knew what I wanted out of it. We were best friends. We grew up together. We had a lot in common. Um, And then I just really wanted to make it work. So I did, I like, for instance, when I was in college, I avoided parties and alcohol in general, just because I know that limits your judgment. And there's that temptation there because I went to, um, Stanford in Northern California and she went to a school down in San Diego. So like we were, we were far enough away that it could have been easy to have that temptation there. Um, and yeah, so we got through college and then being religious, like our next option was, okay, well let's get married, which you could blame on like the fundamental beliefs that I had had at the time. But honestly, I think I would have done the same thing regardless. Um, because for me, it was that, real desire for family and I wanted to get on that journey and I already knew I loved her. So I was like, well, let's just go, let's Mm -hmm. go for it. Um, so I got married. Uh, I pretty much graduated, got married and had my first job within like a month of each other. Just like this really, wow. Yeah. Life just went, you know, from one very different extreme to the next. Um, and then we spent two years together and moved up to the Bay Area to do, I had work. And, and so that took her away from her family and her influences. And that gave us an opportunity to sort of explore our, what we, were, we originally believed because we did it. We were raised that way, taught to think that way. And we were like, well, do we actually believe all these things that we were taught? And um, that gave her time to sort of explore her own beliefs. And we ended up walking away from religion, which then gave her an opportunity to explore more of who she was. Because she was clearly, I think the one thing was during our marriage, she was clearly just upset about something. There was something very like, she just felt out of place and that she was pulled into this life, but didn't feel in the same way, in a way that like, I felt I was compelled and it was my purpose to like, I'm still like, cannot wait to be a dad, cannot wait to be a husband. I was like in it. She felt like she was assigned that role because other people told her that's what she should do. Got it. 
So she, um, so like after religion didn't have its, its, um, influence on her, she thought, well, wonder if my sexuality also isn't, uh, fully straight, um, which was rattling to me, obviously, because I'm married to this person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's not what you want to hear. That's not the pillow talk you're hoping for. (laughs) But in a, in a way I was also like, it kind of made sense because it was always a bit of a wall there that I felt between us and mm-hmm. there were just moments where I suspected things were a little bit off but having been my only my first relationship I didn't have anything to compare it with so I was like well maybe this is just how people are um yeah and then Ooh, with- actually because of that that that's something I'll, I definitely want to hear the rest of the story sorry to interrupt you but yeah, do you think like do you regret I guess not do you regret because obviously it didn't end up working out but do you think it's in general like not a good thing to marry the first person that you're with Oh, I think I go back and forth on it because on the one hand, had, had she not been, I think if I had, if I had set stronger boundaries for myself and been more, um, firm on what I know I need out of a relationship, I probably would have broken up with her before we got to the married stage because there were Mm -hmm. things about our relationship while it felt very good and very right that I just felt like she was not fully invested in the same way that I was. Um, but I suspect that if she had been, I would have, I'm just trying to think of what I would tell my own kids. And I think <laughs> it's a gamble. I don't know. I'd like, I don't think yeah. dating other people necessarily would solve the question of whether or not the person is right. It's just go with your gut. Um, yeah. But I think it was more the age thing. Cause we were so young. Uh, we were 21. And that's just, I don't think you're fully formed yet. You need, you need a few years to figure out who you are. You can do that in this, in, in a relationship. You don't have to be single. You don't have to like go out. If that's not your style, if you know you're that kind of monogamous person, like I am totally fine, but the marriage is a big step. Um, and I would suggest taking your time on that one. (laughs) Yeah. I always do wonder when I hear my friend's parents say that they got married when they were like 19 or 22 or 25. And I'm just like, holy shit, like you're not a human yet. Like what? Cause even now it's like, I'm, I'm turning 27 and I assumed that I would feel like an adult by now. I'm sitting in my childhood bedroom right now. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, like, yes, I can be an adult in times when I need to, but like, I don't feel like I'm a person who could start a, like, life and a family you know (laughs) it's crazy and yeah and i'm 30 and like the thing is because i've lived on both sides of it now i i can say like for sure but it's definitely like i can look around my peers and be like you have to you have to go through a bit of a change when when it happens because it's like very different mentality um (laughs) yeah it is funny to look at like some people i know and be like holy shit like they're gonna be a parent in a few years like that's not okay (laughs) i was like i remember you from college and yeah (laughs) You haven't changed yet. Yeah. Okay. Anywho, back to, back to the story. You guys know that I struggle with confidence. I'm always my biggest critic. And when I notice something about myself that I don't like, I can't stop fixating on it. I'm working on all of this, but it can be hard. A year ago, I noticed that my hair was thinning and I was finding more and more strands of hair on the floor every time I would walk around my apartment. When I would look down in the shower, I would freak out at what I saw in the drain. That's when I opened up to my best friend who happens to be a doctor And she said two things that changed my life. The first was that she knows so many women our age going through the same thing. The second is that she told me to try Nutrafol. And so I did. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. A year later and a month before my wedding, and I cannot believe the number of people who have been complimenting how long, strong, and healthy my hair looks. I never imagined that this would happen. And naturally, as a result, my confidence has transformed. I'm no longer self-conscious when it comes to my hair. And honestly, that is a huge, huge, huge personal win for me. And you guys know I'm hilariously bad at sticking with habits and taking something every day or doing something every day. But with Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online with no prescription required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure that you'll never miss a day. You'll see results in three to six months. And trust me, it is worth the wait. You can start so easily by taking their hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering the Seeing Other People family $10 off your first month's subscription. 
subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code seeing other people. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code seeing other people. That's Nutrafol.com promo code seeing other people. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. When I first started seeing other people, some of my closest friends and family could not believe it. Not because they didn't think I was capable of being a podcast host, but because I usually can't get through a sentence without sniffling. And during allergy season, forget about it. My seasonal allergies are debilitating, and my sinus congestion and pressure has always left me feeling so sick. But luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin-D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Claritin-D has truly transformed my life. Not only can I breathe better and sleep better since taking Claritin-D, but I also can get through the day so much smoother. I used to have to cancel plans because of how bad my allergies were. I'd go through a tissue box a week, sometimes more, and my eyes were always watery. But Claritin-D's fast symptom relief starts working on allergies with nasal congestion in as little as 30 minutes, and it tackles nasal congestion caused by allergies or a cold and also relieves sinus congestion and pressure due to allergies. It's truly the greatest thing I've ever come across and I am so grateful that I found it and started using it. Are you ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Brave the uncomfortable. Those are the words engraved on my bracelet that have gotten me through some of the most anxiety-inducing moments over the last few years. And that's why I could not be more excited to encourage you all to get a Presently bracelet of your own with a phrase that resonates with you. Presently is a line of mindfulness bracelets engraved with words inspired by cognitive behavioral therapy. The brand was started by two sisters, Lindsay and Emily, who have obsessive compulsive disorder, aka OCD, and anxiety. They realized that when stuck in an anxiety spiral, it's hard to put into practice the tools that they learned in therapy sessions. They looked and looked for bracelets that could serve as reminders to interrupt that spiral, but they couldn't find anything besides the cheesy good vibes only and no bad days types of messaging. They started Presently to bring more authenticity to self-help anxiety management. And as someone who has had a Presently bracelet for three years, I mean it when I say it really makes a difference. So whether you need encouragement to make it onto that date that you've been anxious about, a calming mantra to get you through a big day at work, or simply a reminder that you're not alone, Presently has your back. Their bracelets are so beautiful and elevated, and they also make amazing gifts. And I know because I have gifted a few over the years, and my friends were so excited to get one and have worn them ever since. There are six phrases to choose from. And if you're indecisive, there's a quiz that you can take to help you choose the perfect reminder for your anxiety. Plus, 5% of each bracelet is donated to your choice of four mental health nonprofits. I wholeheartedly love and support Presently, and I know that your Presently bracelet will bring you as much comfort as mine has brought me. So head to presentlybracelets.com. That's P-R-E-S-E-N-T-L-Y bracelets.com for 10% off your order using code seeing other people. So I'm sure people can already kind of guess where things are going next, but she, within a matter of months, she went from questioning her sexuality to fully accepting the fact that she was lesbian and not into men. And uh, which was pretty devastating for both of us, but especially me, um, because like, I was like, well, I wanted to be in this and I was ready. And, and for her, I think she felt on top of the, the sexuality thing, like marriage for her felt a bit like a burden at the time. She got into it because she thought like she was supposed to not that she wanted Mm -hmm. to um yeah to her credit she figured it out without exploring outside of our marriage or or cheating or anything so um that that made things a lot more bearable um and like it's amazing that she was able to do that by just doing her own introspection and, and exploration within herself um, which is part of the reason that we're still really good friends today. We keep in touch and talk. All, like I call her family because it's weird to call her ex-wife. It's weird to call her a friend. So she's in this weird way, like this special, almost like adopted family. Um, but in my story, that meant that I had to figure out being a single adult for the first time at 25, which was mm. very uh, 
unique way of going about it because most people 25 have already dated through college and high school and, and done a few years. Um, it was especially hard too, because none of my friends obviously had even been married. So let alone married or engaged, forget about divorced. So the concept of me going through divorce for them, I think was very, they just thought it was like a bad breakup, but it is so much more than that. When you think that you're with the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And, um, what was especially difficult, I think in my case was, uh, living in San Francisco, like it's, um, you know, and it was one of the reasons I loved living there, but it was, it's very like LGBTQ positive and that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And so, but what happened was when we split the whole community kind of circled around her and, um, treated her like almost like a hero, like conquering her, um, her, her burden. And um, at the same time, it was almost like unintentional, but I was almost a force of nature that was an antagonist in that. And so I couldn't right. feel the pain of the divorce to its full extent because a little bit of me was like, well, um, in doing so, I'm, I'm not trying to like, it has nothing to do with her sexual orientation or anything like that, but it almost felt like I couldn't fully express that without it. People assuming that I might have had something to do with it. Um, yeah. I mean, or you couldn't, you couldn't really tell people how you were feeling because you'd be afraid that it'd come off like in a ro the wrong way exactly. or like exactly. yeah, as an attack to her. Yeah, so I was tough. a bit, yeah. So I was a bit on an Island for that. And, um, yeah, that made it a bit rough. Um, do you ever like, or, or did you ever thinking back to that time, almost like regret that you both explored religion and, and then that led her to exploring sexuality like do you think had you not moved to the bay area where things were a little bit more liberal and, and had not started exploring the values you were raised on like do you think you would have still been together not to say that that would have been the right thing or like the wrong thing because of course like she figured out who she was that's amazing but in terms of like the relationship staying alive yeah i actually shudder to think about it because for a long time, I, I wished that we had stayed together in some capacity, like obviously because, but um, the longer I've been away from it, the more I realized it was the right thing that we weren't together. And so I actually shudder to think about it because if we had, if we had still had those influences telling her what she should do, um, she would have been continually living that lie. And I think it's really important mm -hmm. that no matter what people think you should or shouldn't do, it's, it's important to live your own romantic life out. And we live in a very different world now than we did than like our previous generation. And I think they still don't really comprehend that. Like in the same way that our music tastes are wildly more diverse than they've ever been in the past because Spotify lets us listen to like movie soundtracks and foreign music and all these things. Whereas before we were just relegated to the radio and record stores. Um, right. Romantic life is the same exact way. It used to be you either get married or you stay single, but now there's polyamorous mm -hmm. relationships. There's, married without kids there's like adopted families there's all sorts of various married without kids kids without marriage yeah that's a big Everything. one too that's a that's a big one a lot of people are taking on um or yeah. actually i have a friend um she she had a child and then she decided she wanted to raise them with like she she lives with two close friends and so like it's a family made of friends raising a baby mm -hmm. together and it's like this and it works because they're just you know they're yeah. really close um so I think it's very important to explore and know within yourself what it is you want out of that because you, we have more options. We're not told what to do or what to think um, as much. And so had we still lived under those influences, I think it, she would have been continually living that lie. And I, so although the outcome was painful, it was the right one for both of us, for her to explore it. And, and she realized she didn't want kids. So that would have been a really, that, that alone could have been the thing that, that broke us. Um, but yeah, like, I think it's, um, I think as much as you can make that time for yourself to, to figure out exactly what you want. Yeah. And it's great that you both were able to figure out who you were individually together, because sometimes, especially when you get in a relationship, when you're super young, like you don't have that opportunity because you kind of just figure out who you are in relation or in regard to the relationship and to your partner. So it is, it is really cool and, and I have a lot of respect for the fact that while you guys were together like you were able to figure out what you wanted she was able to figure out what she wanted and who she was
Yeah, I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that we're both very like open communicators. We were just open book about everything, which made it hard when she was like, I'm questioning my sexuality, but she was able to say it. And I think that made it a lot easier for us to then like, okay, well, let's work on what that means. Um, and we both really respected each other. Um, we also happened to take like a marriage workshop class before we got married because we're both that, those just like, I'm especially that type of person who's like, I read all the books and I do all the research because I want to be the best possible partner I can be. And so a lot of those tools, I think, made it much more possible to to do that. Because if you communicate Absolutely. and you respect each other, you can you can explore um, in a healthy way. So Yeah, something yeah. that, I mean, it comes up on every episode of seeing other people, but it, communication is the most so important big. thing and the most important skill. And uh, it it's like, even if you're afraid of it, just like yeah. do it. Because if you don't, it's going to come back to bite you. For sure. Um, yeah. yeah. So, okay. So starting the date at 25 for the first time, what was that like? How did you go about it? And I guess the biggest question is when you were starting to date after a divorce, after this situation, how did you incorporate that into your dating life? Did you tell people? Did you not? If you did, when, how, and how were those conversations received? What was that whole experience like for you? Yeah. So, um, yeah, take this in a lot of directions. But basically, um, I, I would say like now that I'm, it's been five years and I can look back and, and look at more of my arc, the biggest thing that was eye-opening for me was I was working a lot of under a lot of very naive assumptions about the way that other people approach dating relationships and even their own level of like self-awareness. So when I first went into dating, um, in my job, I pretty much just work with dudes um, and we're all pretty much like isolated our own thing. So work was already not really a place to meet people. My friend group was pretty small and isolated. And it was one of those things where like they had all been single during my marriage. And then right as the divorce happened, they had all found their people that they're all with still pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. they were not, they were not like out exploring and going out in single life and stuff. They pretty much relegated me to the apps, which is why I've been, I've been an active hinge user for like probably five years now. Um, and right there uh, with you. Yeah. <laughs> Hinge and I know all the apps. So the way I went about it was, well, first I was like, well, I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, so I read a couple like blog articles and books to just sort of get my head around it, especially online dating. Um, but the biggest eye opener I think was for me, I worked on the assumption that everybody knew what they wanted. Most people wanted a long-term monogamous relationship that led to marriage and kids. Most people were ready for those things. And most people uh -huh. knew how to communicate that and how to best go and find it, which are like wow. all very big <laughs> assumptions. And also like, yeah. Um, and it took me uh, an embarrassingly long time to unlearn them. And in the meantime, what yeah. would happen was I would like match with people on, on the app and we'd be communicating and then she would vanish. And I would just be like, Oh, that's, Odd. I thought we had like a vibe going. Why would you go away thinking that like it was clearly something I did or whatever? So the problem was then I started to blame myself for a lot of the like failures I had with dating without realizing that a lot of times this things going on way outside your, your control understanding, um, which led down to a dark path of self-improvement. And I say that only because I did like this full on glow up where I was just like, I got extra fit and I learned about fashion and, and took care of myself. And these are all good things in their own right. But if you blame your singleness on not being good enough, and then you, you focus on that self-improvement to do it, it can, it can be a distraction. You don't even realize it because what you're really looking for mm -hmm. is a connection, not your marketability as a dating app profile. Um, right. But that is kind of the path I went on. And I've only just recently started to turn away from that more and be like, oh, actually, I need to look more for who I'm connecting with on a real level. That was a really cool way that you stated that, like your marketability on yeah. a dating app. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of times we do blame ourselves for things that have nothing to do with us. And that's something that's really hard to learn where it's like, oh, just because like a conversation dropped off on a dating app or like somebody said that they didn't feel a connection. That doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. Like when you think about it, you're trying to meet somebody who you can spend and like your life with and build a life with and start a family with and have this whole partnership with. And like, that's really hard to find. Yeah. And 
So just because it didn't work out with one or two or five or 10 or 20 people, that's, that's 20 people out of the whole world of people when you're trying to find this one person who is going to like fit in with you as like two puzzle pieces. So it, it is dating is really a hard thing. And I think a lot of things that we've grown up on and have like seen on TV and in movies and read in books is that like, oh, well, like it just works. Like you just find your person at some point. Like, yeah, you might struggle for a bit, but then it'll be fine. And then you're going to like live happily ever after. And that's just not true. So I feel for you in, in the blaming yourself and feeling like you did have to change things in, in terms of marketability. Raise your hand if you have dating anxiety. All right. All right. I know that everyone has their hands up and I get it. I had debilitating anxiety when I was single. And even when I first started dating Jake, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I know that is not a good way to feel and that is not a fun way to date. And I get it. It can be hard to find an anxiety relief tactic that works for you. That's why I'm so excited to introduce you to a new one that has helped me dramatically with my wedding and work stress and anxiety over the last few months. And trust me, there's been a lot of it. Sunset Lake CBD is an amazing company that not only has helped me feel so much better, but they also have a really cool history and mission. Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. As farmers, they believe in providing only top-shelf CBD and hemp products at fair prices. So they cut out the middlemen and they ship their CBD straight from their farm to your door, which means that their CBD is affordable and trusted because CBD and anxiety relief can help everyone and they want it to be accessible to anyone. Trust me when I say that when I'm stressed or anxious, my sleep is the first thing to go. But despite everything I have going on right now, I've been taking a sleep gummy before bed and my sleep scores on my aura ring have been through the roof. Plus, I'm finding myself relaxing more at night and being able to turn off my work brain and my anxiety with the help of their CBD gummy bears and reishi infused chews. Whether you want to sleep better, relax better, focus better, recover better, or anything in between, Sunset Lake CBD has something for everyone. So check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use code SOP for 20% off your order. That's code SOP for 20% off, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you're in the thick of modern dating, or you're wondering if the person you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you. It's called Dateable, your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Krafchick and Yue Shu. They talk about it all, from why you're choosing the wrong partner and how to stop, to how to actually go from matching on the app to getting on a date, to securing your anxious attachment, and everything in between. Julie and Yue have been on Seeing Other People, and I've been a guest on their podcast too, so if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my episode of Dateable, Season 15, Episode 10, Is It Chemistry or Anxiety? Guys, this podcast is incredibly relatable, insightful, and oftentimes hilarious. Wherever you start, Dateable will help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. You can subscribe and listen to episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts every Wednesday and Sunday. So check out Dateable and thank me later. Yeah, and there's a, a bit of an insidious uh, theme that s- slips in about that occasionally, even in just like the way that we communicate with others about dating. So like a very common one that's meant as a compliment, but if you really think about it, could be interpreted that way is like, wow, you're so whatever. I can't believe that you're single, which is like, I get that it's a a compliment, but there's like, it's a, and people usually go to like saying like, well, yeah, that's also an insult because I am still single. So there must be something else wrong with me. But the second issue with it is the implication is that if you're, if you're still single, it's because you lack enough of that that was the difference between you being like, if someone's like, oh, you're so good looking, I can't believe you're single, dating should be easy for you. The implication is that if dating is hard for you, it's because you're not good looking enough. Yeah. Which is like, that's really messed up. That's really not the problem. Um, it's just that connections are hard to form and no matter what circle you're in. And we're all just looking for our like matching puzzle piece edge. Um, yeah. And it's especially now when, Cause like before you, like when you found your relationship in real life, like you were in it for a while and then suddenly like you, you never learned how to like text flirt with people who yeah, you were just yeah. getting to know. And uh, so suddenly like getting on dating apps and, and this is true for also like, I know people who are now in their mid late twenties and they met someone when they first got to college and now like they're breaking up. So they also are entering the dating app world for the first time and having to flirt and like all that. And it's hard because not only do you have to, have that connection with somebody in person, but you have to have like a textual chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. Like textual chemistry. And, and that's a whole nother battle. So it's like, 
our odds of actually like finding somebody are just so it's, it's so hard. It's, it's so hard. Uh, and I dove deep into that world. Like I, I have consulted dating coaches. I have read all the books, all the blogs. And like, so I would say at this point, like all of the, I've, I have fine tuned the polishing on like as much as anyone could be marketable. I would say like, I've done the things to make it that way. And I will say it's still difficult because at the end of the day, like, I think, it's important to be have, have good communication skills. But in my experience throughout all of my dating, when I've had textual chemistry, it was never the gimmicky stuff that I was doing anyway. It was just the way she communicated and the way I communicated just clicked yep. and I didn't have to think about it. Um, so I encourage people like I do think it's important to read about because if you're the type of person that just texts back two word responses with no question or you don't know how to keep conversation flowing, there's some very basic skills to learn. But the ba- the ba- uh, the bare minimum is pretty low. And beyond that, you're not there's not a lot of change that would re- that would make your dating life easier or better. And if you feel like it's still difficult, it's not because you're failing and it's not because you're not doing enough. It's because that's just how it is. And it's, it's numbers really. Yeah. It's numbers. It takes time. It's also like right place, right time, right person. There's a lot of factors that go into it. And I mean, with that, like there, there were times in my life where I was like, okay, like I'm ready now it's time. Like, okay, this next person I date like has to be my person or like, that's what I need to find right now. And in hindsight, I was not ready. I was not in a good place. I was not happy with myself and my own life. So like, how could I possibly meet somebody and expect that it would work out when like I was struggling in a million different things that I needed to get my shit together first. So again, that goes back to like, right place, right time, like right situation for yourself and and kind of right mindset about it too. And like I did try and get into relationships in, in those times and they were complete failures because I was not in a good place. I was not like actually able to be like half of a, like a working relationship. Oh, for sure. And I think that's a thing too, is I, my most recent ex was, that was exactly the problem. We, we both came in with some faulty beliefs about that. Like she, mm-hmm was a month out of a five-year relationship that was inclu- including an engagement. And so like, obviously not in the right place, but she tried to convince herself and sort of convey to me that she was ready. Um, Cause we met on eHarmony. So like, clearly I'm like, okay, well this is the place for serious relationships to form. <laughs> yeah. And I worked, she was the second person that I'd ever really felt that deep, strong connection with. And I worked under the assumption that love always conquers all that, that, or at least that feeling of, connectivity always conquers all. And so I was like, there's all these red flags here, but I feel like we've got something real here. So I'm going to give it a shot anyway. And sure enough, Mm -hmm. it goes to show that timing is a factor and you can tell yourself as much as you want that you're ready because you want it. But I think it does require some, some honest, real communication with yourself. some introspection to be like, am I actually really ready? Um, Because it doesn't matter how much you want to be like, if you don't do that healing and, and processing it, you won't be. Definitely. Back to one point before I think we, we got, we went in a million different directions, but I definitely do want to hear how you initially did communicate that you were divorced to people, because I think that's something that a lot of people feel like there's this like big elephant in the room, but it's only in their room because the other person doesn't know. And they're not sure like how and when to have that conversation. Yeah. So I stressed about it a lot the first few times I felt like I had to tell someone. And also it was partially because I started dating. Um, like we had separated a long time before, but like the divorce wasn't finalized. So I started dating before the divorce was finalized. So that definitely made me stressed. But I would say in the like five years I've dated, only one person was bothered by the fact that I had previously been married. Everyone else is pretty cool about it. I mean, it does help that like, I, I have a bit of the, like the Ross Geller from friends backstory where I'm just like, yeah, you've seen friends. And that's usually how I open yeah. it. <laughs> I have the same backstory as him. Like, <laughs> they used to be married That's to, a like, great way to put it. Yeah. Um, and I, but I can also understand and empathize with people who divorce for reasons other than sexual orientation, that there's a fear that there's a stigma that 
you're bad at relationships or you were the cause of the divorce. And so by opening up to this person, say I married, but I used to be, I used to be married and I'm divorced that they're going to hear that and think like, Oh, he kind of, or he or she might not be very good marriage material or whatever else. Um, but it, but I think like it, it is ultimately that elephant in the room, that thing you tell yourself, it's your own story. It's your narrative. And, um, you can tell yourself that people are going to interpret it as you being a fuck up. But I think the more, the, the, an alternative and equally valid story is that you took a chance on love. You thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with someone and you know that within yourself, that's something you want. And how cool is that? And why don't you own that and just say like, and I took my shot and we tried and we didn't know, we didn't have the tools or self-awareness at the time to make it work. Or like in the case where something they did, like they were, they had addictions and abuse and I just couldn't keep the, the marriage going. I don't think there's any shame in just being honest with it and letting the cards fall. People are a lot more forgiving than, than we expect them to be. <laughs> yeah. I think we work our, ourselves up a lot over things that when we finally do them or say them, it's no big deal. And we're like, Oh, okay. yeah. Even, <laughs> yeah. even breakup texts or breakup conversations. I, um, I, I never ghost. That's like a strong policy of mine. But even like if I've even dated for even a little while, I, I like to, I prefer to break up in person because I just think that's a healthier way to do it, which I think these days is the scariest way. People are really terrified. Like at minimum, a uh, phone call seems spooky, but they would, wouldn't go beyond that. But in every time that I've broken up with someone in person, it's been this very like healthy, healing, um, almost like bonding way we would we'd separate. Like, we're usually after like cuddling or like holding each other and being and just like sharing our thoughts and like reflecting on the time we spent together dating. And, um, and you could easily go into your head and be like, they're going to blow up and freak out when I do this. But reality is, yeah, it's, if, if anything, you actually might be giving up opportunities to have like these really healthy and like, um, life enriching experiences with other people. Absolutely. And I also think, one thing that immediately when you do something in person, the immediate thing is like, wow, like they respected me enough to do this in person. Yeah. So it's already it's like one. setting a positive tone. Yeah. Many times I've gotten the thank you from that. Like, thank you for being honest and open with me and not just yeah. vanishing. Um, yep. Because I think, I think the real stress and pain from all of these things comes from ambiguity, even fading. And so I make an effort to like, it's, uh, you know, people are like, well, I don't ghost, but then maybe you give me, you're like, on the fence for three weeks and that person they're intuitive enough they know something funny is happening that's so um, painful it's so it's and it's actually what you find right is it's at its worst is that whole period of time you're stressing and you're anticipating all the various things they can say or do or decide and then you're trying yeah. to like you know sort of maybe manage it a little bit and see if you can get them back into the in their good graces and then um i remember this distinctly because i was feeling that right before my divorce when she finally said like, I'm definitely a lesbian, there was almost this wave of relief because like, at least yep. I have closure and I, it's, it's the shittiest news you can imagine, but I can work with it. I can do something about it. It's not a big question mark. Um, exactly. Yeah. And that just goes to show that, like that communication is, is very important. Um, yeah, it's the most important thing you can do. Yeah. But I guess more to the thing about being married and dating with that, telling them is fine. The harder thing was that I was coming into these dating situations being like, I've been married before marriage with the right person or even mostly the right person is fucking awesome. Like I knew that's what I wanted. I tried it out and I actually really liked it. I want that again, but especially in a place like living in San Francisco, when you're 25 and you're dating in San Francisco, most the, the median age for marriage, I think for men in San Francisco is like 38. So like, wow. <laughs> yeah. People wait a long time and they have to, because it's really expensive to live there. It's really hard to buy homes. And like, yeah. SF is also a very, I'm sure it's like New York. People are very career oriented and that's like their prime, yeah. their prime directive and no judgment on that. I think it's great that if you live in, if we live in this world where you can chase career all you want, um, I hope that people who chase career, they're doing it because that's what they actually feel called to do and not like this pendulum swing where instead we all felt like we were supposed to get married and now we all feel like we're supposed to have jobs that make us feel like we're, you know, fixing the world. If you actually want to be the person who gets married, it's okay to own that and like lean into it and say like, this is what I want. And I want to, in my next five years, I really want to have be like, find my person. And I think it's totally okay to admit that and like be open to it. 
Um, but in San Francisco, those are rarer people. So it made dating um I, yeah, I definitely, I can relate to that because I dated a lot of guys who worked in the music industry in LA specifically. And for them, it was like, it was like being in a relationship was the worst thing that could possibly happen to them because <laughs> yeah. it's a distraction from them yeah. achieving their career goals. And like, they can't even consider a serious relationship until they're like, like running a management company or have gotten a Grammy. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, no, like you can have it. You can have both things. Like, why not? do all of those things with somebody supporting you and cheering you on through it. And for them, it was like the hardest thing to be able to understand, which was like so hard for me. At what point did you actually move to Australia? Uh, two years ago. So basically um, right before, like a year before COVID, which was pretty, I don't know okay. how many people are aware, but like Australia COVID kind of only happened for a few months. And then every once in a while we'll get like an infection and it'll be like a little community cluster of like 10 people and everything goes in lockdown, like 10 people getting sick, lockdown. But um, pretty much I've been playing like we've been restaurants have been open for almost a year. Nightclubs, all that stuff is like we're uh, yeah. But yeah. So basically what happened was it was the right place to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So three years out of being single and like dating was not going great in, in San Francisco. And a lot of my friends were starting to get engaged or moving away. And <clears throat> I had a friend who's sort of a life mentor and he's lived a very rich life. Like he was in the Peace Corps in Mongolia and like worked for the New York Times. And then, you know, he, he's like, he just had this crazy story. And he was like, you know, you don't have to just live this regimented career trajectory in the Silicon Valley tech bubble. Like you don't have to, you know, whatever, you should explore what you want. And so I started with a career workshop and they, they said, because um, I was thought maybe I want to change jobs. Uh, but they asked this really important question. They said, and they even like leaned into the fact that a career doesn't have to be this like all consuming purpose. It can just be something that's a part of your life. And the important questions to ask yourself are, uh, what do you want to do? Where do you want to do it? And who do you want to do it with? And each person will have a different level of importance on all three of those questions. And for me, the where was the huge one. I love the beach. I love the ocean. I wanted to be around people who were like-minded, fitness-minded, family-oriented. And uh, and like my cousin already lives in Australia. So I, I was visiting them and my uncle gave me the hard sell. He's like, you should come out here so that my daughter has like a family member out here. And, and it just took me around the country. And I was like, this is it. Love at first sight. I'm moving here and and the rest is history. That's amazing. I, yeah, that's really, really cool. And I have so much respect for you that you like took the plunge and did that. Cause I, one thing I always have said is like, I, I really regret not having spent at least a year in a completely different place. Um, but at this point I don't see myself doing that now, but my whole, here, here's the thing is like, I grew up in like the suburbs of New York city. I went to school in upstate New York. I moved to New York city and so like my whole world is New York. All of my family, all of my friends, everything is in New York. And to, for me to be happy, I need to be surrounded by like the people who I feel like are my world. And and I just can't imagine not being surrounded by that and not being able to like go home every weekend if I want to. Yeah, I totally get that. Um, I guess I had the privilege, if you want to call it that, of my family was also cast to the four winds. Like my dad, who by the way, uh, just to, circle back to that real fast. He, he got clean when I was about 14 and, um, he remarried and I have a little half brother and like, he's in my life and we have a, we have a good relationship now. So oh, I'm happy, really happy to hear that. Yeah. He lives in South America and my brother like moved to the Midwest and my, my sister actually lives in, in New York, in Brooklyn, I think. Wow. Okay. Um, All over the world. Yeah. And so it made it a little easier to move away because there is no, there wasn't that temptation of like, uh, you know, family being right there for me. Um, but when I first moved here, I also said like, I was going to give myself two years and even if I hate it, I'm going to live it out for two years and then decide if I want to stay forever. But by year one, I was like, nah, I'm here. Like I'll get the I'll get yeah. visa and stay as long as I want and hopefully it can put down roots and, um, yeah. good, good strategy though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was it like dating between like San Francisco and then dating in Australia? Were there like any similarities or any big differences you noticed? <laughs> I came in like, like 
starry-eyed, assuming that it was going to be this whole new wonderland of dating. Um, and I wonder if it's also because I moved from one big city to another big city that it ended up being very much the same. Because, um, like, well, my cousin, she lives in, like, a smaller... She lives in Queensland, and there people settle down a lot younger, and, and they're a little more... They are very still, like, the family-oriented, like, we're ready to... And so when they sold me on Australia, they were saying like, that's how it is. And people just want like, you're going to like, you'll move here and you'll find someone who wants to lock you down like right away. And so I came in with that expectation, but I moved to Sydney because that's where my, my work is. And like, that's where everything's happening. And it was surprisingly very similar to San Francisco. Like on the apps, you match with like 60 people and only 30 of them ever reply even to your first message. And then of those, like, only 10 end up having a whole conversation and then of those five agree to a date and then of those two don't flake that was great math there what's that very realistic math <laughs> yeah. it's almost like i've been doing this for a really long time <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah so it ended up being pretty pretty similar on that front and it's the same thing where uh i actually many times and this is, a, I think, it's we're living in a very countercultural generation. I think my age, maybe slightly older and down, it's just a very different scene than what people even 10 years older than us think. Because I don't know if, if, if it's the case with you, but they tell me all the time, like, people are ready to settle down at 30. You just watch. You turn 30 and everyone's going to get serious about it. And I'm like, I'm looking around and that is not that way. There are plenty of 30-year-olds. I've actually had to break things off with women because within our first or second date, we were talking about our five-year plan and they were pretty lackadaisical about family and getting serious and settling down. Career was still their top priority and and nothing wrong with that. And like, this isn't a judgment on them, but in terms of compatibility, I'm like, no, my priority is if I meet my person, like we, like I want to try and make that my priority. Um, yeah, but that's still here. I thought that would only be San Francisco, but it turns out it's happening all over the world. Yeah. Universal. Okay. So note to people, if you are trying to go somewhere with a better dating culture, it, 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 the same shit's happening all over the world. <laughs> it is. I can't speak to small yeah. towns. I will say that typically the women that I've like gotten the most along with end up being way out in the country, in the suburbs. And that may be because, at, you know, culturally their age range, they are looking to settle down a little more or like that's just their mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have heard that you can move to places maybe that are different. Like I've heard that it's a good idea for women to move to San Francisco because the men are all like, you know, there's a huge disparity. And so they have their pick of the litter. (laughs) I don't know. Oh yeah. Cause there are so many, there's so many single men compared to women. Yes. Yes. So many single men compared to women. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. but I've heard it's still difficult. Like, so I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just hard no matter what. Because we're, we have six photos and three blurbs. And how are we supposed to figure out whether or not that person really is going to connect with us? Um, and it depends on which photos they choose and which blurbs they respond to and how they communicate. There's like a million things. So, of course, it's going to be hard. It's going to take time. And that's okay. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I think dating apps are such an amazing thing and like a great tool that we have. And all they do is make our small world smaller. And other times I'm like, these are the worst invention ever <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and cause so much pain and agony. But I do think it's because it's how people use them. I'm trying not exactly. to be like too judgmental of mankind as a whole, but I do suspect that if we were just a little bit more self-aware and conscious of yep. the things that we were doing and aware of things like the choice paralysis and other stuff. And we go, okay, knowing this, I should be deliberate and make sure I only match with like 10 people at a time and communicate with all yep. of them, give them a fair shake. And if they don't work out either like politely them, go like 10 more yep. or unmatch. Yeah, exactly. Rather than like, Oh, I'm communicating with these people. I'm going to keep adding more matches in. And now you seem interesting. And Oh, I'm actually only inspired by the novelty of the dopamine effect of a new match rather than like actually more attracted to this person than the one I was just talking to. Um, I think if we can overcome those as a as a uh, generation, then I think dating apps could be an amazing tool um, that could solve many of our dating woes. Yeah, I mean, that was perfectly said. I could not have said it better. One last question, and then we will wrap it up. In all of your experiences in different places in the world with different people, starting from a young age, what do you think the either the best piece of advice you've ever gotten or like the biggest lesson you've learned ha- has been? Oh, 
it's like when you're so deep in it, you have answers. Like there's a million things you want to say. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I have come across with this is that um, romantic relationships can take many forms, but um, until you do that work within yourself to figure out what it is that you want, it will be incredibly more frustrating and difficult. And um, once you know what you want, it is okay to own it. And there's no one else. You only have basically like the way I think of it is you have one life and one opportunity to, to build the life that you want. And every day that goes by is a day that you're choosing to either move more in that direction or more in another direction. And it sounds intense and it sounds scary, but like your romantic life is a part of that. And with respect to dating, I think it's worth doing that introspection, figuring out what it is you want and, and going after it because it won't just fall in your lap any more than uh, the perfect job will or anything else. Um, and it's okay to say like, I'm, I'm happy single. I'd be happier with a partner. I think that's a totally appropriate and um, okay thing to admit and then go after it. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, that's my biggest, uh, I guess my biggest takeaway. I'm still just working through that. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here on that note. That was a perfect note to end on. Um, I'm so appreciative of you coming on and, and being open yeah, to yeah. discussing your journey and sharing it with everyone. And thank you to everyone who tuned in and, and listened. And this has been seeing other people unfiltered.